This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. This is the year of the leader. This is the Leading Second Podcast. Welcome to the Leading Second Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, This is a space we've created for for anyone who just wants to get it right for the kingdom, for your church, for your pastor. You want to grow. You want to get better at leading wherever God has placed you. Uh, My name is Clark, and I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second. And I'm glad you've joined us. So glad you're here. We've got a great episode in store for you. Uh, Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you, if uh, you're ever wanting to start a conversation with your team members, we've got a resource out there uh, we call Episode Guides that you can go to our website and find. It's a free resource that's just meant to be used however you want to use it. So if it starts conversation with your team or, or maybe you just use it for your own notes and individual growth, please go find that at leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. Well, for this season of the podcast, we are proud to partner with Tithely uh, to bring awareness to a resource which begs this question, do you want to grow the generosity of your church? Then if you do, you have to make it convenient and easy to give. And Tithely offers free online giving tools that make it simple for your church members to tithe and make offerings. With Tithely, church members can give from their digital devices, and that includes mobile giving, text to give, and giving on a laptop or desktop computer. On average, churches who use Tithely uh, increase their giving by 165% year over year. To learn more about how you can use Tithely to grow generosity at your church, go to tithely.com. For today's interview, we're honored to welcome back two guests, including Pastor Joshua Bingle from Genesis Church and Michael Whittle from C3 LA and Vast Media. They joined Pastor Brandon to talk about leading in an anti-authority culture. And just a quick editor's note, during the recording of this interview, we had some technical difficulties, so you might notice that Pastor Brandon's mic is not at the quality level you're probably used to hearing. So we apologize for that, but the quality of conversation more than makes up for that. We know there is someone who needs to hear this today. So let's go ahead and just jump into the conversation. All right, for today's conversation, I am so excited to have a couple of brilliant friends back on the podcast. We're gonna meddle a little bit today and have some fun. Uh, So help me welcome back Pastor Joshua Bingle from Genesis Church. Say what's up, everybody, sir. Everybody, glad to be here. Love you, Brandon. Love you, Lindsay. Love leading second, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you you have added value from day one in our tribe. We're grateful, and you know you have done a ton of hard work in your church developing a killer, you know, leadership development program. All that. I just want to honor you. You are such a great. 
uh, student of today's issues and and are just leading the charge so well. Um, so you do it so well. We we're, we're taking all your stuff in our own church and just ripping it off. Sometimes inviting you, you know. <laughs> we love you. Thank you. That's kind. You're awesome. And then I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast Michael Whittle from C3 LA and Vast Media. Say what's up to everybody, Michael. Hey, Brandon, it's good to be here, man. I'm excited to do this again uh, and just love leading second. So anytime I can uh, be a part, I'm I'm so down. And Joshua, it's good to meet you, man. Yeah, Technically man. meet you. We've met you once, but, but you know, it's good it to chat. It was like 18 seconds. So this yeah. counts as the official. There we go. Right here on air in front of everybody. There we go. Best friends. And um, Michael, thanks for uh, jumping on. I feel like I always have you on for the tough conversations. I guess you're just in that category for me <laughs> as a friend. Uh, we don't get to talk about anything good. It's just going to be all the all the tough stuff. And, and we're going to hey, dive in on it today. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to serve. Here to serve. Come on, somebody. Today we want to talk about leading in an anti-authority culture. Kind of this idea that the prevailing culture that we're leading among um, outside of the church and sadly is creeping its way into the church is very anti-authority, speaking truth to power, holding authority accountable. I mean, I think you guys would agree that as kind of the the language that's kind of the, the the prevailing culture we're leading amongst today. It's not an easy time to lead. You know, leaders are being portrayed as oppressors. Of course, our world right now is not seeing sin; it's seeing systems, and you know, kind of replacing this idea that we're we're born sinful to no, we're all born good. We're just a part of sinful systems, and so then, of course, anyone on top of the systems you know, is an oppressor and you combine that with quiet quitting and we've just got a great prescription for for a, a, a prevailing view of leadership. It's different than what I feel like I grew up around. I mean, I feel like this has changed in my season of leading and we just wanted to have this conversation today because we got to get this right. And there's a call of leadership on on the life of so many of you listening to this episode today. We want to affirm that. We want to call that to the surface and remind you that kingdom leadership looks different. So help me dive in today, guys. I mean, why is this happening? Why are we here? Let, let's continue to kind of paint this landscape. What's it looking like? What's it sounding like right now uh, for you guys? Um, I think there's a, you know, B, you hit like a bunch of combinations of things. I think um, we were even talking before we went on air about the language of anti-authority. And I think it's fitting. Um, at the very least, if you wanted to be charitable, there's skepticism about authority. Sure, yeah. And um, that comes from a lot of places. You have people who have seen authority wildly abused. You got, sure. I mean, millennials have been through a couple different massive economic upheavals and bank bailouts. And now you got right. like, you're just, you got wild conspiracy theories about the earth being flat. And like, you know, people, they just buy into this stuff because, because trusting what we have been handed is really hard. And I say that, I say that on purpose for 
people who are trying to figure out how to lead in this is that if we misdiagnose what's going on, then we'll treat it improperly. Um, we'll go about it the wrong way. And so I, I think even just on the front end, understanding that there is a healthy level of skepticism that logically on paper, I'm not saying I agree with it because it's not kingdom, but yeah, logically I understand. On paper, it makes sense why younger leaders and people who are now like millennials are now in the power band of society where we are contributing power to society. That's our greatest contribution right now is we're contributing power to society, which is a, a little bit awkward coming from people who are skeptical and anti that now they find themselves in the roles they've been skeptical about in um, right. trying to be charitable and leading. I understand on paper why people will be coming from this and we'll wrestle through the implications of that. But that's what I would say to start. Like I get it, <laughs> man. So if that's being charitable, um, what's the not charitable view? <laughs> the non charitable view. <laughs> I just, I just mean like, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And I, I think there, we, we all, we all know where the source is, you know, we can, we can find where the roots kind of came from so to speak, but it often presents itself uh, a lot spicier than that. I mean, it presents itself really radical sometimes of just seeking to, like you said, it, we're not just trying to buck the past like any generation would do. This is actually like, there are people out there that want to overthrow um, authority, so to speak. I mean, maybe, maybe talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in a world where any any authority is bad. One person calling a shot, like somebody making a decision that affects other people, it's automatically met with suspicion, um, which again, to echo you, Josh, I actually do understand. And I also have seen and experienced that. But at the same time, I'm an adult. And so I should be able to hold the tension of both of these things in my hand in a sense of like, sure, Christian leaders have done stupid stuff. Sure, government, like, we, of course, we're all suspicious. We've seen it, right? Like, I graduated college in the midst of the financial crisis of 2008. So I, I saw all of this. But at the same time, uh, I'm also uh, a human being with the ability to think and discern and, and right. make rational decisions. And so I can't all of a sudden just say, well, because this has happened, all authority is bad and we don't need any leaders because every single leader is just corrupt and they're just trying to uh, oppress me. Um, but that is where a lot of people tend to go, which is, which is the uncharitable side of it, which is that any centralized form of leadership is bad and authoritative and corrupt. Um, because it imposes on my own individual agency. Because <laughs> in order to come under somebody or something, that essentially means you are, in some ways, people view it losing some of our individuality, which is, I think, a misunderstanding of what being under any kind of leadership or authority actually is and means. Okay, Michael, tell me what you think about this too. Like, I want to play around with this idea is that... Um, so you were talking about authority, you know, Im imposing itself upon our agency. Let's let's kick this ball around for a second, because I think this plays into it as well. Is that for me, let's make an assumption that as someone in authority, we all are under authority and in authority, all three of us on this call. Um, as someone in authority, when I give a directive or a correction or even 
some sort of vision cast. Um, inherently what's happening is I am, I am asserting a truth claim. So let's, let's play around with this. I am, I am asserting that this is the direction, the singular direction. I have now just mm. done something that in our culture is a moral no-no. Right. We live in an age that is <laughs> radically skeptical about whether or not objective truth is knowable and by whom mm. and by who it's knowable. By whom, I should say. Mm-hmm. Okay, calm down mm-hmm. grammar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so not only are we are we running up against we're we're still trying to diagnose at this part of the combo. We haven't gotten to the like how to do it, but I'm I'm really curious about what you would have to say about this that with with as someone in authority, when I give a directive or a corrective or something, I'm what I'm doing at the core is I'm asserting a truth claim in in the the cultural moment in which we are all swimming, people are automatically skeptical of anyone who would assert any form mm. of objective truth. And as someone in authority, that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. I I literally just had a conversation with an incredible, like pure hearted, kind guy in our church about this exact same thing. Right. So I'm not senior pastor. Um, we're in, in our church context, we're going into what is called our vision builders gala, which is where we put a vision in front of the church and we all give towards it. Right. And right. the way in our individual context about it, the way we've been doing it for a long time is our lead pastor, pastor Jake, take some time every year to go away, spend some time with God, fast, pray, and say, God, where are you taking us over the next year? He then comes back, sits with our lead team and says, hey, this is what I feel like God's saying. What do you guys think? We put together a plan and then he shares the vision with the church and we raise money to go, right? Fulfill the vision. Right. And so sometimes we talk about that. Like we're just stoked to hear our pastor's vision for the year and what God's going to do next. And you know, he goes away and really feel like God's spoken to him. And so this incredible, well-meaning guy hits me up and is like, hey, I'd love to talk about this. And so we sit down and his questions were so genuine. It was like, wait a minute. So like the pastor just goes away and hears from God and comes back and tells the church what we're going to do. Like, where's the accountability? Like, it was just this, like, he was, his mind was like, really couldn't comprehend that there was like a visionary leader that, by the way, doesn't just come back and say, this is what God said we're doing. And he says, hey, I feel like this is maybe what God's saying. What do you guys think? What do you think's right? What do you think's not right? And then we put it in front, and this guy couldn't kind of rationalize, well, shouldn't we all come up with this together, right? So even on the most practical level, <laughs> right, people can't even hear something like that. They, they just get all thrown by like, wait a minute, this whole organization is being led by one person who says this is where we're going and it's like well yeah that's kind of the role of a visionary and a leader and so there was an assumption first of all that that's not how it should be done but then there was an assumption that there was just no accountability or thought whatsoever you know what i mean and this guy wasn't trying to be cynical he's literally just taught to think um there's something wrong with this and, and that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation, because I just wanted to shine light on some of these dynamics, because if we're not aware of the enemy's schemes, so to speak, you know, we we adopt language and thoughts naively 
because the, you know they 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 sound good or someone gave a convincing argument on them i i just wanted to like call it out and and shine light on it and remind us all like that's not kingdom you know the the the, the way i i understand that in you know when when, when presented coming from someone, you know, you, it, it's easy to naively adopt it, but we have to know if we're going to lead in God's kingdom, we have to know the ways of the kingdom, the language of the kingdom, the thoughts of the kingdom, because these ideas are born out of a different ecosystem. You know, they're, they're, they're just born out of a different thought. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, just this idea that, it, you know, so much of the gospel is not about me. It's actually about me laying down my life, but we're living and leading in a culture right now that's all about me. I mean, that is that is massively elevated me. I mean, Michael, maybe you could talk about this again, just this idea that we, our, our, our whole world is being framed around me, what's best for me, um, yep. my truth, yeah. you know, all that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, y- we have not just grown up, but have been taught really in every sphere of our life. And dare I say charitably in a lot of, so I, I pastor in Los Angeles. And so a lot of the people that come to our church have come from the South or Texas and Midwest. And most of them are not on church. They grew up in youth ministry and church. And guess what, whether it was intentional or not, they've been a Christian 15 or 20 years and they've kind of been taught their Christianity is all about them. Right. So Mm. Forgive me, but I do think there is a level in which maybe the last 25 or 30 years of the church in America has helped kind of prop this idea up, which I actually think so many churches are doing an amazing job of helping people realize that, right? But um, I think in every sphere of our life, we've basically been taught like, it's about us, it's about our will, it's about our desires, it's about our motive, it's about our... and, And so, man, anytime someone's trying to lead you, well, that automatically takes away some of that feeling of like human human agency. And if everything, including my faith is viewed through the lens of first and foremost, me, uh, then man, what happens when a leader, uh, who is under authority, under the authority of God challenges something, uh, in us about that. That's, I think that's where we're at. And I see that all the time. I see that all the time, just in day-to-day pastoral relationships with people. Um, they don't even know where they, they don't even see it. You know what I mean? They don't even realize how self-focused every area of, of their life is, including their faith, you know? So I think that's a huge challenge for someone who's leading right now, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he's so right. I mean, that's the, that's original sin, isn't it? It's rejecting God's rule and sitting on his throne. Like speci- the specific sin in the garden the sin of self-rule. I, I knew better. Um, you know, it's what Eve, it was pleasant to the eyes. It's going to make her wise, good for food. Like, uh, yeah, why would I not, why would I not do that? Why would I not want that? So you're right. Like I would 100% agree in trying to help diagnose this so that we get it right. Is that in addition to everything we've talked about that we, we are leading people who are the locus of their own truth and, even even secular sociologists are are arguing in some historians um, like uh, um, and thinkers like Yoram Hazoni is doing good work on this right now um, that we are living in the only logical end of the Enlightenment liberal project and I don't mean like liberal like the political left in America 
I mean, like the the core of Enlightenment liberalism is is individual freedom, individual rights, which we're thankful for that. But there's you know there's a lot of people arguing right now that the natural end of that becomes where I buck every system, I buck every trend, and um, um, oh, what was the French the Frenchman who came to the U.S. in the early 19th century? Um, I'm blanking his name, but he said, you know. Um, America is a is a country with the soul of a church, and essentially um, that as long as we can keep these God first Christian principles, then the Enlightenment liberal project will work. But it's because the church holds the sin inside of every person at bay, and the, and as soon as the church is not holding the state in tension, and you know keeping the worst of us at bay, this is where we end up. And so this is, you know, as Michael said so well, like when they're coming to our church and even many of us, we have to work through that. We have to take Romans 12, like us too, that we have to ask ourselves in which ways is it possible that I'm conformed to the system of this world? Um, And then to renew my mind according to the scripture. But you know, I think this is why we started saying this is that we can tend to look at people who are anti-authority, that they are like that because they're punks and riffraff and rascals. And, um, but it's because we've been rascals. baptized. Yeah, we've been baptized into this system that, you know, leadership is morally wrong, that they you were born a perfect little flower. That's the Rousseauian idea that that we were all born perfect and good. And then everything bad about us was socialized into us. And the French postmodernists ran with that and weaponized it and fired it at all of us. And we're dealing with that now. So let's talk about the prescription here for a second then. So you have a leader that maybe unintentionally has adopted some worldly thinking on this they've they've run into it they've heard it they've maybe grown up around it but we're kind of calling it out today these thoughts are coming from a different ecosystem it's not the kingdom's ecosystem here um what's the prescription how how does a leader you just mentioned romans 12 how does a leader renew their mind in this and and get back in the way of kingdom thinking when it comes to leadership and authority and how God uses authority. Like, like how do we make that journey back? Well, I know in my own life, if I've ever come up against this, and I have, because I don't like to follow. I mean, I'm I I am that guy. <laughs> I I I like, you know what I mean? Like, and and so I've this sure. is something I've routinely and I've and I've been under over the course of my life, like really gnarly, not great authority, and then literally the best, most healthy, you know what I mean? Sure. So I've, I've sure. yeah. I, I have my own issues with having walked through all of it, but here's one thing I've found. Um, when this, like when I find myself internally starting to like even dislike the word authority or start to like not like that, I, I, the only thing I know how to do is go, God, search my heart, search my heart and know me. And oftentimes yeah, what beautiful. I find is that, um, most of the time, my problems with authority are not anything they've done. It's like kind of they're not doing what I've expected of them or I've 
you know, internally internalized the way I thought something was supposed to be or should be or what I should have gotten out of this or that. And so most of the time when I'm having any kind of an issue with authority, I do the difficult thing and go, oh, what in me needs to be shifted? And oftentimes it is simple as going, man, I haven't been thinking um, in ways of the kingdom. I've literally adopted patterns of thinking of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For me, that's always, it always comes back to me and myself um, and very rarely anything external. Um, and often it's mismatched and misaligned expectations internally that I have, Mm. uh, allowed to cloud my view of authority in the first place, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, totally. And I I mean, let's talk about this too. I I mean, we, we, we've mentioned this a couple of times already, but church authority figures are not always perfect. And, um, we've seen leaders in authority in the church make mistakes. And we've seen a lack of judgment and we've seen sin. Um, it's tragic, uh, but it happens. And it would be disingenuous to not acknowledge that it happens. Sadly, I think for, for some, that's become the red cord, you know, the thread that they started pulling in their faith that unwound the garment uh, for them. So how should we be thinking about those moments, guys? Like we we see we see a leader make a mistake. We see a lack of judgment, but we want to get it right in a kingdom way. We want to get it right in a healthy way. I mean, all of us have been in the game now for a while. So we've all seen this. We've all had to walk this road to, to get back to and stay in a place of health on this. Uh, what does what is encountering that thought? look like? Like when you see a, a godly leader make a mistake, walk through a tough issue of sin, whatnot, like how do we respond? What do we think? I think it's important to realize that just because you disagree with someone and you disagree with how your boss said something or a call that your boss made, doesn't necessarily mean they're in sin. Um, mm. That's not mm-hmm. authority oppressing you. That somebody told right. you no. They didn't put an exclamation point at the end of their email to make you feel awesome. They just told you what to do. Yeah. Right. And the reason I, I don't want to make light of the question because you asked a bigger question than that, Brandon, but I don't want to make light of that because I think sometimes what we are doing is we are using our current authority figure as a punching bag to hold somebody else accountable, somebody mm. else who hurt us, mm. somebody else, or, you know, I'm putting the system on trial. And you're like, you like white knight, this whole thing. And what this, this person, like we, when we were in college, we were, um, you know, troublemakers every now and again. And, uh, we would get into a bit of trouble and my room, you know, someone would get in our face and my roommate would say, you're not mad at me. You're mad at your dad. Mm-hmm. And you know, that never de-escalated the situation, but but I do think that that's important to you know Jake's Jake's or pardon me not Jake uh, Michael Michael's what something that he said we always get um, mixed up I'm kidding you're both just so devilishly handsome <laughs> um, uh, is that you know he has to ask the Lord to search him like search my heart I have to do the same thing and I think an awareness for the leader. Um, who might be listening to this going, how do I approach this? That that to be aware that's very possible 
that the person who is in leadership in your life is actually representing somebody else. And you are mm. that person accountable by proxy. And this person didn't hurt you. Your current leader didn't hurt you. Your current leader might be Mother Teresa. But if you have issues that you haven't dealt with and worked through and submitted to the Lord and laid at his feet and asked for the sweet touch of the Holy Spirit to heal you, um, then you could turn Mother Teresa into Mao, you know, and and Mother Teresa didn't do nothing to you, bro. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, man, to be super transparent, I I have done that to Jake, who's, by the way, one of my best friends in the world. He was my friend. Now he's my pastor and my friend. We also have a business together. So talk about a complex situation. But there has been time, a, a few times over the years where I've had to go to him and say, man, I've been really difficult to lead in this season. And it's because I've basically been treating you as a punching bag for my own past wow. from former wow. pastors and leaders. And um, I've villainized you in my head and you haven't literally done anything wrong. Um, and, and I actually think that's so real, man. And I, I think that when it comes back to what do we do that search my heart and know me, it's like, we can only be on that can only come up if we're honest with ourselves. And I think you're so right on. I always say, I cannot imagine being a senior pastor right now because it very easily, you very easily can become the punching bag for everybody else's stuff. Um, and I would just say to any leaders listening, that is what you just said. I have experienced personally and the other side of coming to uh, to not just a realization internally, but having that conversation is like been one of the most freeing experiences I've had in in mm. a very long time. Um, mm. So you're right on, and I've I've walked through that. It's so true. And if that is the case, you know, not I'm not saying in your life, but if you're listening and that is the case for you, I can imagine. I won't speak for Jake, but I can imagine if that happened to me as a lead pastor and someone from my team came to me and said that you just bought so much credibility and trust because I now trust that you are self-aware enough to know. Right. Oh my goodness. I've been in my prayer closet. I've asked the Lord to search my heart. I recognize that I am sinful at my core outside of the saving power of the cross. I am, you know, I, I have the, the worst of intentions and desires and I'm not a perfect little flower that you are breaking. I'm actually, you are aiding in my process of sanctification. And then now you have freedom to bring that up, right? Like yes. I've now brought it to my pastor and now you yes. can come and go, hey man, I'm feeling that thing again. And it's not weird or awkward. It's just the reality of it. And like you said, it it only strengthens the relationship because likely you're feeling it. You're not oh, dumb. Yeah right? Like you're, go you're feeling it. And so, um, it, it's, you're, you're so, you're so right. You're so right. It, it changed the co complete dynamic of our friendship and relationship wow. when that was able wow. to happen. And now he can be like, dude, you're doing it again. Can you stop? Like, let's talk about this. It's been a weird month. Can we talk about why? Right. And it's like, mm. talk about freedom, you know? Mm. And now I trust you and I can run with you. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful. And as you guys are talking, I'm also thinking about another dynamic going on potentially for leaders, and that's the the sneaky influence of cancel culture. 
here. So you see a leader make a mistake, and suddenly your instinct is to cancel everything about them. Everything they've ever said, everything they've ever done is now null and void, tear down their statue, <laughs> you know, um, rewrite the history books. They never existed. Um, and I don't, I mean, you guys tell me what you think. I've really struggled when people do that. To leaders because it, it's like okay I we need to acknowledge that there maybe have been was a real error here you know or there was there was something that was not right here but that doesn't necessarily take out their entire life's work just off of off of one thing one decision I mean I I've seen leaders um, walk through difficult times that that shaped early parts of my philosophy of leadership. And I've had to really uh, unwind, you know, the truth that I learned from that person, from the person, you know, and and realize, no, it, it was biblical and it was godly and it was kingdom, even if it came through an imperfect vessel and that vessel showed their imperfections, it was still a kingdom thought. I don't, because I, if I, if I just pull the whole thing up, roots and all, I lose years of good deposit. I mean, what, what do you guys think about this? Because I, I think cancel culture is a really sneaky way of, of getting in here and causing us to just unravel everything we learned from a leader because they made a mistake. Yeah, I, that's so true. That goes back to something Michael said earlier that I think is so sorely lacking in our culture is that, you know, a, a thoughtful, contemplative, charitable adult has the ability to hold two ideas in tension at the same time, like, right. Right. Or multiple ideas. And so as I am maturing, not just in Christ, but maturing as a human, I can hold those things in tension. I can say, wow, this sermon that this guy preached or this program that I was a part of shaped me in fundamental ways that I'm so grateful for. And he was kind of a dirtbag. Like I can hold those things in tension. And, and, you know, as you know, not just maturing in Christ, but maturing as an adult and a human being, you you kind of have the ability to look to look back on that and hold those things in tension. But there's there's a definite level of maturity to that, and it's not it's not too common. Sadly, you're you're right. <laughs> in some ways, too, though, let's let's think about this. In some ways, it's tell me what you think about this. In some ways, it's safer and easier and cleaner. To if you are all about self-actualization and you know how I feel about a situation, so I try to protect myself by eliminating things that don't spark joy, then it's it's safer for me and easier and cleaner to just pretend as if that person hadn't existed rather than rather than be be uh, you know um, I don't want to keep saying be an adult like as a pejorative, but like to <laughs> to, to like m- be mature enough to. Um, to recognize the, to use a, a term that we've heard used before, the gold in the garbage. Uh, to recognize mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, and it's so, it, man, it goes so far beyond just like, uh, this person made a mistake, so the work that they've produced is no longer meaningful. I mean, I saw, and Brandon, you can cut this if it's too much, whatever, but I saw uh, one of these. <laughs> this is where the like, good stuff comes from, when these, you say that. One of these. <laughs> like deconstructionist accounts on Twitter yesterday, repost a photo of a well-known pastor who's fallen in the last few years. 
who had posted a photo of himself at lunch with two other well-known pastors who presumably have all been friends for a very long period of time. I saw the photo. Yeah, you saw it. And it it was like, and it was like, there's no accountability. And I just was like, how dare these people have friends? How dare a human being have a friend that they can sit down who they've known for decades and have a relationship with? So like, we're not even talking about this person's work is completely useless. It's like, this person doesn't even deserve kindness and charity and friendship (laughs) because they've presumably made a mistake. And that sounds really extreme, but dude, it's gotten there for a lot of people. And I just, I saw this, I don't know any of these people and could literally care less who had lunch with who, but I felt this like defensive thing going up where I was like, yeah, you're right. How dare that guy have a friend? Like we should just, we should, nobody should ever be around someone who's messed up. And I think that to me, especially when Christians are talking like that, to me, it's like, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. Leaders become like these caricatures to us and taking, not taking into account anything about that person behind the scenes, that photo you're referencing. I've, I've met two of the three and they're completely different behind the scenes than, than the caricatures that get painted. And yes, I may, may, maybe Josh, maybe you're onto something. Maybe we just need to be adults here. Maybe we just need to call it what it is, you know, and, and maybe we just need to grow up a little bit in our, in our thinking and, and, and be a little bit more charitable when it comes to acknowledging very real issues while at the same time not participating in ungodly cancel culture that just quite frankly wants to see these people taken out bottom line well and there's there's also this other dynamic too that if you don't speak out against something your silence is complicity and your right right is you are you are advocating and you totally agree and so we feel like morally we have to you know, give our opinion on something like imagine if Jesus, when he's calling the disciples and he sits them down at the table and he's like, Matthew, here is a tax collector. And I'm going to release a statement about how I feel about tax collectors. Simon is the zealot over there. I, I don't agree with the zealots. I need everybody to know. I don't agree with the zealots, political terrorism, but I just, they're really great guys. And we feel the need to do that morally to be like, you know, just be like, you reference somebody who's fallen, be like, you have to say now, okay, I just want everybody to know, I don't agree with everything that they've done, but da, 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 da. and it's just like, it's asinine. It's silliness to, to, but it's, that's the water we're, that we're swimming in is that we don't yeah. do what holding a couple different ideas in tension because it's easier. And honestly, we don't really have to, because we've all curated these beautiful little echo chambers that, we don't we don't have to hold different ideas in tension. We can run to the applause of the echo chamber anytime we want. And it feels really good. Um, now I'm on a different rabbit trail on a different podcast, but praise God for authority. <laughs> praise God. I, I think where I want to land this conversation today is remind everybody that godly leadership produces kingdom fruit in people's lives that this is the place for human flourishing. This is the place that God designed us to live is under authority. And like, it is good. It is right. It protects you. I have seen the provision of God through my life or in my life, through the leaders in my life. I mean, it's, it's good. 
is good. Like this, this is the place that God intended for you to live, and which is exactly why our world's culture is doing everything it can to uproot you from the the place that God has planted you. I mean, let's let's just redeem this conversation a little bit today, and like let's just remind people. Help me out, guys. Like, yeah. like there there is there is a, a place of protection and provision for you under authority that is of God and for your life and desiring that is desiring a good thing. You, you desire to lead. It's a good thing um, yes. to, to, to lead and participate in God's kingdom in that way. Yes. And let's, let's think about, let's think about what the, what the Psalm, the Psalmist says in Psalm 23, he says, your rod and your staff. Right. Comfort me. Right. Not your presence, not your quotable thing. Your rod and your staff, the the authority, the provision, and the protection. The fact that I am under your authority gives me comfort. And we have lost this, is that we have forgotten how safe it feels under authority. And I think, because the enemy knows the Bible too, is that he would do everything he could to paint authority as unsafe. Mm. You're skeptical mm. of it. And then the safety and the comfort that your heart desires, we have to run to all these other things. But it wasn't like, you know, a great worship service that lasted for six hours that comforts me. Praise God when those moments happen. But what the psalmist was comforted by, and this is a this is a truth, you know, leader who's listening who might feel unsafe and out on an island and untethered and uncertain, could it be because of how you view authority? And could it be the comfort that you were looking for and the safety and the protection and the provision inside of which you will flourish? I love Brandon using N.T. Wright's language of the human flourishing. Could it be that the psalmist knows something we've forgotten, that it's actually under his rod and his staff. Beautiful. Safest, most provided for, most protected, and we can flourish. Beautiful. Beautiful. Michael, I'm going to give you the last word today, sir. You talk straight to the leader listening who's in this wrestle. I feel like if someone's still on all the way at the end of a podcast, they needed it today. And talk to the leader listening who's in the wrestle you were in and like, like just speak and minister straight to their heart right now. Like what would you, what would you say to that person who's in that wrestle? Want to get it right under authority? No, I, I love that, that rod and that staff, the rod and the staff comfort me. That is like so absolutely true. Um, I would say, and I know I'm sounding like echoing what you said, Joshua, but this, the absolute safest place to be is under authority And, and if it feels weird and it feels scary or it feels awkward, the only thing you can do is rip that bandaid off and, and, Mm -hmm. and do it. And that doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be like, okay, pastor, now I'm under your authority. But, but, but here's something that I'll, this is a practical, can I just give a practical tip? Please think about something in your life, a decision that you're trying to make a way of thinking that you're struggling with, bring it to your pastor, share it with him and say, what do you think? 
And, and, and that's like the simplest thing in the world. I literally had a conversation with Jake about this the other day. And if this sounds too ethereal, Brandon, you can tell me it, but I was literally something in my head. I've been struggling with the decision I was trying to make something to figure out. I hadn't really felt permission from God to make a decision. And I said, Hey, this is something I'm struggling with. And man, it was like one response and word from him. All of mm -hmm. a sudden it was like, Oh wow, this feels peaceful. And, mm -hmm. and it's just something you have to put into practice. And it can be, we can put it in our head and we can over-spiritualize it. What I've found in my life is just doing it and, and having that conversation, not expecting your pastor to come to you and go, you know, Hey, where are we at here? How are things going? It's just going to them and saying, Hey, this is, let's, let's put this into practice. Um, and it's scary, but it takes faith and the safety on the other side of it. I have found to literally be life-changing, uh, and time and time again, it, it has just proven out. So I, if you're listening and you want proof and story after story, hit me up. I'm happy to, to yeah. share all of them, but it has literally been the safest place. Um, that, that's so good. I'm so glad you used the word proof because that's what I pray this podcast is. I pray that our tribe and this podcast is a place of proof that if, if you're looking for anchors, like this stuff worked and it's worked in our lives and it's worked in the life of every guest we have on here, I would just say leaders, this is a big pillar. This is one we've got to get right. This is a primary issue in leadership that we know how to think about this. We know how to address these thoughts. We know how to arrest them and make them subservient to Christ. So thank you so much, guys, for some brilliant wisdom today. Um, I love and honor you both. Thanks for adding value to Leading Second Tribe. To find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. 